Hey, hey, welcome to the podcast where we take a quick swig of medicine from the limitless depths of pop fiction, literary fiction, visual art, music, movies, poetry, any artistic creation, and we feel all the better for it. My name is Nate Hammond. You are listening to Tonic Pop. Hey, this is Nate Hammond from Tonic Pop, and with me today is Luke. Oh man, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting. There's got to be something cool with this one. Hang on. Oh, geez. I want to start again because I got to. Oh, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Luke, bloody. No. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of a. Okay, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino today. So, I don't know. Give me an AKA for Luke that has something to do with Quentin Tarantino and his films. Because, yes, we're going to talk about the top five. Quentin Tarantino, not the top five, our favorite five. That's what we tend to go favorite with now. Five. So yeah, welcome Luke. Fave five. We're going to talk a little bit about Quentin Tarantino and more to the point, his films. He's like, he's, I don't know if you'd call him prolific, although he hasn't been going for, there's not a whole lot that he's actually written and directed, which is what we're, is that what you're drawing from? The ones that he's actually yeah. directed? Yeah, so the ones that, that he counts as his, with? yeah. yeah. Okay, like so him and only him kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool beans. So that's what I'm going with too. Um, because there are some that are sort of just outside of that. that yeah. He had a, definitely had a hand in um, that are often on the lists, but this is just the focus. So there's not a whole lot to draw from, but despite the fact that he's not ridiculously prolific, yeah. he's, he, he's consistent, so consistent with his standards. Yeah, because he's he, he was... It was him that said he was famously like he's he's only doing ten movies. I think he's only got one more to go out of those. What, and then he's gonna they retire. Really? Yeah, but okay. I mean, that's like ten of his own projects. I think is yeah, what he's talking yeah, about. Because okay. okay. like he's done a lot of other movies, like you're saying. Right. And he's been involved with a whole heap of other movies. Yeah, yeah. But um, and he'll continue to be, I guess. Ones you you know think of as his movies or Tarantino movies, like Pulp Fiction and. Okay. Django and all the rest of those. Wow. I, th- I think that's the, the 10. And I think he counts Kill Bill as just one movie. Both, yeah. Because I think he technically is up to 10 if you count okay. them separately. All right. Yeah. But he's, he always says they're one movie. It's one movie. Fair it's enough. just split into two. And I guess it's the same with the, um, with uh, Grindhouse and, um, well, because he didn't direct one of them, but it was yeah. his project. Yes. So he only, he did. Death Proof, but yeah, then, he Rodriguez Death Proof and then Rodriguez did Planet um, Terror. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, cool. All right, then. So we're expecting just one more movie from Quentin Tarantino if he's true to his word. Yeah, because he's had 10 so far if okay. you separate. Sorry, that's uh, confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not hard math. 10 movie releases. He's had <laughs> right. 10 movie releases so okay, far. Okay, so it's t- 10 movie releases, but he only considers it to be... Um, yeah, I guess nine compilations of movies. Like the compilation yeah. only consists of nine movies because he includes Kill Bill one and two as one complete package in and of itself. There we go. So that took a long time to just talk about something very simple. <laughs> um, but yeah, but but quick and edit out some of them. <laughs> yeah. All right, but the dude, I, I just think he's a, he's a he's a genius. Um, I think he's just got a lot of so much credit for just the way he thinks outside the square and, and I don't want to go on too much about him because it's going to at the start of this podcast episode because as we speak yeah. about each of the movies obviously we'll be pulling them apart and talking about you know his influence within those films um, and, and so many of these films have actually become quite influential uh, and so many of the films are I guess they're pastiche and admittedly so he, he just draws from so many other films that are kind of marginalized um, films or the, the kind that got set, get um, put into the, I don't know, the basement bins, you know, and he, he draws from these old noir films, he draws from these, these odd films as inspiration for what he creates. And, uh, and that'll come up as well as we talk about some of the films and they'll become more obvious as we show examples. But yeah, is there anything you want to say about Quentin before we actually get into our top five list? So you will never expect, I guess, a sequel from Quentin. 
um, unless he does it in like a package, like the you know, like yeah, like yeah. With I mean, I guess Bill. that's one way he could get around it and do a sequel to one of them and be like, oh, it's part of the yeah. Movie. I guess he can <laughs> see he set a precedence for himself. That's yeah, yeah, precedent for himself. Yeah, so smart man, smart. Yeah. So we might expect yeah, Pulp Fiction two and yeah, you never know. Yeah, Reservoir Dogs two. All right, the dogs are barking. Cool. All right, you ready to hit your list, or you got anything to add about Quentin? Um, not specifically, no. Not really. Well, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. what is he? He's, he's part Italian. Born in 1963 in Knoxville, Tennessee. He was named after a character on was it Bonanza? Oh, really? I want to. No, wait. Is something he was named after? Yeah, named after Gunsmoke. Sorry. Ah, oh, Gunsmoke. Yeah. Okay. So he was named after the Burt Reynolds character Quint Esper from Gunsmoke in 1955. He was planning to direct an episode of The X Files, but refused to join the Directors Guild of America. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, so the guild re- refused his request what? for the wa- for a waiver, so that he could direct the series. Just that to, was in 1996. Just to do one episode. Yeah. Wow. And that was when? Way back in... That was 96, the 96. original. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And he had made a name for himself. You think? Yeah, had... yeah. Bums. All right. Yeah, that's uh, funny. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, he didn't want to join the guild, so they were like, nope. <laughs> he was... collects old television series, series board games. He often creates um, fictional brands of objects, and sometimes he reuses those in, yes. in multiple films. Like the Red Apple so like cigarette Red brand. Apple, yeah, and um, the Big Kahuna Burger. I have... <laughs> I like how he also it seems to me um, I was thinking about this when I was thinking about some of the actors that he casts Mm. he doesn't just run with the who's hot at the moment no he often will find those that have their their shine is waning a little bit Um, and he'll bring him back or like Travolta like Travolta yeah Yeah. Um, David Carradine David Carradine yeah um and oftentimes he will also uh, just look in the shadows for more obscure actors like mm. um, Christoph Waltz that maybe yes. have some fame or notoriety in another place on the planet but not in Hollywood itself. Mm. And so he'll give them an opportunity in Hollywood. Yeah. So he really does um, dig deep. Uh, a couple of those thoughts are going to come up again as I speak about a couple of the movies um, that I've brought up but yeah I, I just like that he does that he just thinks outside the square he just doesn't run with the same old same old yeah now okay I gotta have this I mean he has um, anchor actors I guess you could call them um, like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I mean mm. he did have Leo and, and Brad Pitt uh, yeah and I guess they were at the they're, they're still at the top of their game there um, so they weren't waning by any means Neither was Margot Robbie, but that was probably one of the few where he's just had most of the ensemble has been mm. been at their heights. But oftentimes, yeah, it's people that are waning or he's brought from the shadows. He watches so many films. He talks about it like he does draw from all these. So it doesn't confine him. He doesn't like confine that. himself yeah. to you know to the the blockbusters. Um, and so he's watching all these obscure films and. Yeah. Um, you know, and so he'll pull people from those places. Yeah, yeah. I, I also love the way he does his soundtracks. Uh, Maria went to a um, a, a Brisbane Sounds uh, a couple of years ago, and they had one of the main curators for Tarantino's films, mm. uh, as in music soundtrack curators, and talking about the process that they go through and what he looks for. Yeah. And it was quite interesting. I should have her in here to talk about it, actually, but. Um, yeah, it was quite it was quite enthralling actually. She said to listen to them talk about the processes that they go through and how they can find all these sort of obscure, obscure sort of I say obscure, they're not always obscure, but to us in our little bubbles, you know, yeah. our Western bubbles because we're fed. Um, but you know, they they look outside of that. And so, mm. I mean, uh, Kill Bill, which you may talk about um, later if it's on your list. Um, you, you know, what what was the name of that punk band? That Japanese punk band? That girl punk band? Uh, yeah, I can't remember the it, name. It'll come to me anyway, yeah. but you know, those sorts of things. So they just, he just doesn't, he looks outside, he's just like, what's hot at the moment? He's not just doing a quick Google search and looking at what comes up first. He's actually, I, like, I remember when I went to, um, I was traveling from Philippines back home and had a layover in Hong Kong for like seven hours or something, but it was during the daytime, so I wasn't getting a hotel or anything. 
And uh, I, I got <laughs> off, I'd never been to Hong Kong before, and I got off and I was looking for someone that could speak English, and I saw this person, and she ended up being Australian. And I was like, oh, have, hey, do you know this place well? And she goes, yeah, it was at the train station. I go, where do I go? Um, you know, just I've got a few hours to kill. And she's like, oh, okay, so what you want to do is go here. And, and she explained that she was pointing me towards the direction it's basically the tourist area. Yeah. This is the shops are nice and all that sort of thing and blah 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 blah. Just avoid going back that way. That's all the you know, the dirty streets and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, thank you very much. And then I went in the opposite direction she told me. Because <laughs> that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to check out the back streets and the you know, the back street markets and the more grimy areas and the yeah. you know, the narrow alleyways and those sorts of things and and uh you, you know, the laneways. So I went and explored for you know, I didn't have enough time to go exploring. And I feel like um, when I was thinking about how Quentin puts together these films and he pulls together these actors and creates these soundtracks and puts these ideas together, I think that's where what he's doing as well. Mm. He's like looking in the back alleys. He's going through the alleyways. He's going to the, through the back street markets to find yeah. the, the people and the sounds that he wants to put into his film. And to me, I'm, I'm really find that to be quite inspiring um you know it's true art yeah you know not just to run go with the the factory settings yeah yeah but to look outside of that so as the five six seven eights five six seven eights yeah. that was it. Um, and he also like just on that because he uh, co-founded that a band apart the record company mm-hmm. uh with uh, lawrence bender and um you know they focus on soundtracks and stuff and yeah, yeah. they do all his and that's the name of the production company too yeah um something that's interesting about his films is that he uh yeah the production yeah. company but that's right. yeah if you think to his oh sorry what was that yeah so he named the production, production company, company band apart yeah band which band. is after the film which is after the band of outsiders mm. and then he also named the um the re- the, rec- the recording co- company is it a record company <laughs> yeah Okay. So it's a band about records. So it's a band about production right. company yeah, yeah, yeah. and then a band records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah it's a, named after a Jean-Luc Godard film, the band. Uh, sorry, Band of Outsiders, nineteen sixty-four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, well, that's then that goes along the lines of exactly what I was saying about where he comes yeah. from. You know, he looks in. Uh, Definitely loves movies and he cult. loves a variety of. He does love yeah. variety and loves sort of like the cult stuff. You know, yeah. he's, he's right in there with that mix and. Yeah, and he creates these. What's funny is that he creates these cult films, but that mm. are actually big hits. So yeah. by rights, you know, they shouldn't be have be given cult status because, generally speaking, cult status is given to films that sort of like sit, you know, sub level. Yeah. But then you know, there's a big following. Yeah. There. But he creates these. But cult is it automatically style kind of, yeah. <laughs> even though yeah, they're yeah. really even popular they're automatic, films? Yeah, yeah blockbuster. <laughs> That's interesting. Hits. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of his films, the antagonists actually have a lower body count than the protagonists. Actually, have quite low body mm. counts, but they do a lot of torturing and that sort of thing. Yeah. So if you look back and you ever do a count of his um of his bad guys, like if you think of Marcellus, for example, uh, Wallace, like can you think of his the body count? Um, Quentin Marcellus, not really. Eh? I don't think. Yeah. No. Yeah. So, so he doesn't really. The bad guys are not the ones doing all the killing. Yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he was uh, he was an unlisted screenwriter for Tony Scott's Crimson Tide in 1995. Oh, really? Yeah, in 95. So, so yeah, so okay. he was already known. Right. Um, but he was brought in to punch up the script's dialogue. Okay. Reportedly adding uh, the silver surfer scene, submarine movie scene, and racist horse monologue, <laughs> among other polishes. Oh, yeah. But. Um, it's been a while since I saw Crimson Tide. Yeah, so me too. I, I was I trying to watch think of it just to see what his influence was. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, um, I'm ready to get into our top uh, cool. favorite fives. Yeah, are you? Yep. All right, cool. Let's do it. So what have you got? Might as well. Um, I am my number five. I'm putting in Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. All right. Okay. So that's mine as well for number five. Oh, so nice. we can, we can <laughs> jam on it together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I rewatched them recently. I enjoyed them all over again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was a. Well, I think the thing that was interesting when I watched it again was it was a, it was a different style to some of his other movies. Like he made it really kind of like almost like a comic book in some in some senses and some scenes. And um, but yeah, I love you know number one is like hard hitting action. It's kind of nonstop, and then number two delves more into the story and 
um, gives you a bit more background and just a, it's a bit more slow burning but um, I think they I, I really agree with the fact that they are just one movie because yeah, they yeah. really do just continue on from yeah, each I other think so too. and it's just one story but I like how number one kind of leaves some a little bit of mystery about what mm. actually is going on and um, like it's telling you the story but there's still a little bit of mystery as to you know the background of why this has all happened and like um, you know and then number two um, you find out a bit more you kind of find out a bit more as you go on and and number two, you really get get to find out everything, you know, and then when she finally meets up with Bill and stuff. Yeah, and you, yeah. yeah. And it all kind of adds up and, yeah, makes makes sense. And um, He said that he conceived it, conceived it. We were talking about Grindhouse films before and, you know, how he was did that collaboration with Rodriguez. He said that uh, Kill Bill was conceived as a, as a homage to um, you know, makes Grindhouse, sense. Yeah. Grindhouse cinema, I should say. Um, and like we said, he does a lot of his films are really pastiche, you know, or you know, kind of like the I guess artistic version of parody, if that makes sense, just to put it, yeah, you know, um, simply, uh, you know, and so he draws from these like martial arts. This was obviously drawing from martial arts movies, yeah. Um, and there's a film called Lady Snowblood that was uh, from the 70s that was apparently a strong influence to this to Kill Bill. The women were really powerful mm. women, both the antagonist and the, the protagonist and the antagonist, even though it was a male, ultimate male bad guy, um, which yeah. was, again, an interesting interesting choice of actor to bring in or to bring to bring back, which was, he, he was super cool. Um, I think, I think, because he, he, lo- he loved Kung Fu, didn't he? The, yeah. the TV show, that, yes, which yeah, is part yeah, of the yeah. thing, his whole thing. Because mm. I'm sure he's mentioned... Kung Fu, the TV show, and another one of his movies. Okay. I'm just trying to that. think what it is, but I don't know. What in I mean, the dialogue, you mean? Or yeah, like yeah, or? like a, just a small reference. Okay. Huh. I'm feeling like it's Pulp Fiction, but I, I, I can't think. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Quick editor's note. Yes, it was Pulp Fiction where Jules referenced Kung Fu and when he said that he would, um, or he wanted to walk the earth like the character Kane from kung fu uh actually tarantino made a lot of uh, movie tv pop culture references um in pulp fiction including the flintstones force five good times green acres gunsmoke happy days i spy kung fu speed race of the partridge family rich man poor man three little buffs three stages touch the town welcome get back colder zorro greece the great train robbery pandora's box mad lovers girl friday wake island air force murder my sweet it's wonderful life the killers out of the past king of the bullwhip lily on the waterfront all that so yeah so we've got the bride and uma thurman uh, she's just haven't seen a lot of her lately. I know that she's got something coming out. Uh, I just saw an ad. What was it? You, you she know? was in the War with Grandpa, which came out. The War with Grandpa. Recently. That's what but it that's is. pretty small. Yeah. Role for her, really. Yeah, yeah. I think she just decided to step back a little mm. bit. Um, not not be so full on. I don't know why Uma Thurman wasn't um, tapped for Expendables. You know, and someone like Ronda Rousey was instead. Yeah. Like, seen as they were drawing from action stars. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. True of the 80s and 90s mm. um, and I know she's more 2000s but you know that whole sort of era man I just think she was she was the quintessential female action hero yeah in, in that film at least um, well he he wrote it for her yeah like with her in mind, in mind. Yeah, for yeah, playing yeah. The, and actually like, um, they delayed the filming um Sorry, I just had a note on that before. But he does that. He he likes yeah. to use his actors. like Death Proof. Uh, the mm. the um, stunt the stunt woman uh, Zoe. I can't remember her name. She's she's a New Zealander. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Editor's note: Zoe Bell was the name we we're trying to get out of our mouths. Incredible, legendary stunt woman and actress from New Zealand. But he he had her in mind for. Um, that part of the movie where she did that amazing scene where she's yeah, on the yeah. car and stuff. Yeah, right. But like he wrote her, he loved her so much as a stunt woman, he wanted to have her as a character in this her. movie. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So um, Lucy Liu, uh, originally yeah. it was written um, to be a Japanese assassin. Yeah. But then he saw Lucy Liu on, oh, what did he see her on? What would she have been on around that time? I'm trying to think. Was it Charlie's Angels? I was say it's not Charlie's Angels, is it? When did that come up? I'm trying to think of if that came out before. I, I, yeah, anyway, it did. It, it the did. first one came out before, definitely. Okay. 
Well, he saw whatever he saw her on. He saw Lucy Liu and he was very impressed by her. Um, and She's really good in that and yeah, Kill Bill yeah. as well. Yeah. So he rewrote the that part to uh, be a Chinese American yeah. just for Lucy Liu. Um, so he do, he does that. He does that. He knows what he likes, and then he's willing to bend and you know. So I guess he looks for the human elements first. He instead of trying to, he works around what already exists. Yeah. Instead of trying to supplant. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, he helps to nourish what already exists. So he brings in Uma Thurman. Okay, I'm going to write a part for Uma Thurman. Yeah. I like what she does. I like what she looks like. I like whatever. So I'm going to write a part. And then she still has to act. She's not yeah. Uma Thurman. No, but, that's right. Yeah. Um, but but she's she fits into this, the skin of the character that he's created so much more comfortably. Yeah. Because he's worked it around her and his impression of her. And he did the same with Lucy Liu. I found um, it here. It was, he delayed the production of Kill Bill Volume 1. 2003 for several months when Emma Thurman became pregnant. He refused to recast her as he had written the role specifically for her hmm. based on an idea the two conceived on the set of Pulp Fiction. Oh, really? For. Yeah. So, so they conceived yeah. the idea together. That's yeah. cool. Wow. And so he kept it for her. It did really well at the box office. It made 180 against the $30 million budget. So it absolutely kicked butt. Yeah. Wow. Um, probably going to lose my thoughts as i speak him because it kind of jumbled in my head but he the, it doesn't lay out it was shanghai noon sorry where, it was shanghai noon where he saw yeah, lucy that's, yeah, yeah, saw yeah. Lucy that's what it was yeah. okay, i was trying to remember i knew it was something like that anyway sorry keep yeah 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 going. i just thought i that. guess no i'm trying to think of like the expository storytelling aspect to his films where he does it well you're not stages. sure what's going, yeah, going no, on but yeah but it kind of does it in stages it doesn't yeah. just lay out the whole thing yeah okay this is what it's all about yeah, he, you know, you just see sort of flashes, and you know, you don't get everything at once. No, I, the whole, I think the whole two movies are like, I like that. Well, yeah. the the movie as a whole, like it just gives you a bit at a time, mm. and you go, ah, oh, that's oh, what this is. But then you get more, and you're like, ah, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, he reused Michael Madsen, who's who's um, yeah, been in his films before, um, as another assassin. He was the, I guess, the male assassin in that team. And who was the other one? Uh, Vivacia Fox. She was the first, sorry. Mm. Is it Vivica? I don't know how to say it. Vivica Fox. And then, of course, David um, Carradine was Bill. Oh, Daryl Hannah. I didn't yeah. mention Daryl Hannah. Yes, okay. The mermaid. Yes, she she was amazing. Um, even with one eye patch on, you know. That's covering. funny when they tell you the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I mean. And the story comes back. So the, all the storytelling is in... But you don't find that flashbacks. until the second. All movie. the exposition is yeah. in flashback. Volume isn't two. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's cool. And then otherwise, it's just moving forward, and she's just sort of moving forward, moving forward. But you don't know why she's moving forward. But she has these flashbacks, and then you start to be yeah. So, um, but yeah. So what a kick butt film, and it's a good one to start on. Kill Bill one mm. and two. It's cool that um, I think you know that that she's just called the bride. Mm. is kind of a throwback to those old movies as well like you know like the mammoth you know like uh clint eastwood's character the man with no name and stuff like that um i think that's a bit of an homage to those kind of things as well but you know they don't really name yeah yeah and then they actually bleep out her name every time up until he wants you to find out what her name is. that's right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, he, he does a lot of things. That, yeah, uh, we've, we've talked about very intentional, intentional directors before. You know, mm. when we've talked about like obviously Christopher Nolan is a very intentional yeah. director. And what I mean by that is like every single shot has intention. Yeah. You know, it's not just hoping for the best take and, you know, that'll do. It yeah. just, everything feels like it's in its place, you know, in, in, the, in its proper place and exactly what it was meant to be. And it's just, he, he does it so well. But he doesn't, it's not sort of a, it's not rigid. Like mm. some people might go for that and it feels very rigid and forced and, you know, overly fabricated. Yeah. But this just feels so flowy and as most of Quentin Tarantino's films do, yeah. yet it does feel like everything has purpose. Every shot has purpose. Every, um, you know, maison scene. Um, if you're not sure what that is, if you're listening, just like, I guess, what, what you see in the background of a shot, I, I guess you could say, everything has its place yeah so cool so that's kill bill number five for both of us he right. had um sorry just one more oh, yeah, thing go, go, go. like i love that you know obviously that's a huge influence but he's he's put in people that he admired admires like he's got gordon Liu, who we've talked about before in our country mm. episode you know like he's in the movie yeah yeah and yeah. sunny chiba like a famous japanese you know actor like 
as how tall he hands are. Um, like just, I don't know, there's just like cool little things like that. Like, I, yeah, I don't know if I've seen Gordon Lewin much else apart from his old Kung Fu movies, but yeah, right. you know, he yeah, plays a couple so of respectful. parts. And, to do that, and it's that. just, I just find that the heart of respect, you know, for, yeah. for those that have sort of set the path yeah, and yeah. set high standards for our, you know, action movies, especially fight action, fight sequences, the people like Gordon Liu, the Gordon Liu's out there. You know, they they really were trailblazers. Yeah. And so I just find it such a respectful tip of the hat. And you just see Tarantino kind of being like honored that they'll be in his film yeah, kind of yeah. thing because he respects them. Yeah, you know, of and course. That's, yeah. yeah, they'd be his, they'd be heroes to him. Yeah, yeah, know, exactly. Grown up watching them, so um, it, it received quite a few accolades. Uh, it got nominated for a ton of awards. Uh, Uma Thurman got nominated for quite a few awards, and she mm. won a couple. She won uh, Best Actress. Uh, at the Empire Awards and oh, yeah. also Quentin Tarantino won Best Director at that same award at those same awards um, the British Academy Film Awards they got nominated for a whole bunch of stuff actress, editing, film music uh, Golden Globes Uma Thurman got nominated um, she didn't win but she got nominated which is really like for, for such a violent action film that really is saying something you know to be mm. able to because uh, I don't know how often action movies, you know, uh, sorry, action heroes, actors get nominated for these sorts of things. These yeah. sort of highbrow awards, yeah. you know, that yeah. they get nominated by elitists. Yeah. I mean, you can understand like the MTV Movie Awards and those sorts of things. Yeah. But, you know. But not those, yeah, yeah. those kind of ones. So, so yeah, so the Golden Globes, um, she was nominated, didn't win. MTV Movie Awards... Uma Thurman uh, won Best Female Performance. Lucy Liu won Best Villain. And Best Fight um, at the MTV Movie Awards, Uma Thurman versus Jackie Kuriyama. They mm. won the award for Best Fight Scene. So that's all pretty damn cool. Yeah. So yeah, it was a great, great flick. And just like uh, going, sorry, <laughs> keep going. Yeah, no. But um, to your thing about the details, um, you know, like uh, her outfit was obviously like the yellow outfit jumpsuit was obviously inspired by the Bruce Lee yeah, yeah. game of death outfit. Oh yeah. Um, and then another, just another interesting thing I was just reading was that, um, uh, at the, I'll just read this out at the beginning of the fight scene between Oren, sorry, spoiler alert for those, if you haven't seen it, <laughs> um, but the fight scene between Oren and the bride after Oren says in Japanese, I hope you've saved enough energy. If you haven't, you won't last five minutes. Is exactly four minutes and 59 seconds from the time she steps forward and the music cues until the fatal blow in the, of the jewel. Ah, uh, well. So stuff yeah, like yeah. that. See, that, that's what I mean. Everything is purposeful. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, that so, so, so cool. from the time she says five minutes until the fatal blow is precisely five minutes and 30 seconds. But yeah, hmm. that's pretty cool. All right. So well, yeah, the, the, the fight is actually five minutes long until yeah, the final fatal blow. five minutes yeah. long. Well, wow. Just <laughs> little things like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Pretty cool. QT. Yeah. Um, I guess as our last outgoing bit of trivia before we go to the number yeah. four, um, <laughs> the pussy wagon vehicle from Kill Bill Volume One. Yeah. It actually made a cameo appearance in Lady Gaga's music video Telephone. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was funny too, because like you know when you first see her, because then it like before how we're saying you get little bits of information. You mm. see her pull up in that at the house of. Vivica's character yeah and you're like you why the, the hell is she driving yeah, yeah, yeah. that <laughs> yep. and then you find out <laughs> why she's driving that car <laughs> mm. but yeah it's interesting little things huh. anyway alright what's your number four number four my number four um, where is it I was getting, this is getting a little bit tricky for me alright um, but I've got as my number four here we go come on come on just say it. Just say <laughs> in, it. Inglorious Bastards. Uh, okay, okay. I haven't got that yet. That's coming out for me. So I just, I just gave it away. Sorry. It's yeah, a little bit tricky. I could pull it up, but mm, no, no, no. You, we'll, we'll talk about it and then I'll just add a little tidbit if, if I get there. Sorry. Um, Spoilers. It's hard, you know, because I, I love Inglorious Bastards. Mm. Uh, and there's so many things about it that I love. I love that. I mean, I know some people 
Maybe have an issue with it and the fact that he's done it a couple of times now. But the revisionist history thing, like, oh, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I love, love that. I love that he does that. Yeah, yeah. Like he does what you want mm. to happen, you know. And um, but like one thing from the opening scene, like, um, he sets things up so well, you know. And I think that's probably with all his movies, like you're saying about Kill Bill. But you know, the opening scene with this, where you you meet Christoph Waltz, Christoph Waltz, mm-hmm. yeah, his character. His character. He's so like he's so calm and he's so but he's so mm. menacing in that mm. role, you know. Like, like he's 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 speaking really nice, like really uh, pleasantly, and he's acting pleasantly. But there's just such menace behind him, like you know that he's evil and, <laughs> and unhinged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, perfect, perfect. He does it so form. well. Yeah. Um, and that scene, like, it's quite a long scene, but it's so good. It sets up the movie so well. But it's engaging. Yeah. He does, he it's does, like, so we talk a lot about his dialogues, um, you know, being, he's got, just got such great snappy dialogue. Yeah. Uh, his writing skills are out of sight, um, QT, that is. Um, let's say QT, QT. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm, that's sort of, yeah, nickname for him, QT. But QT has such great writing skills that he can create these wonderful dialogues where, you know, there's fun banter. Um, yeah. between even real serious people. Yeah, like, yeah. It's just fun. But he's also, um, what shouldn't be overlooked, is his ability to write such incredible monologue. Yeah. You know, and some and monologue can just bore the hell out of you if it's done wrong. Yeah. But if you've got the right writing and the right actor, yeah. which happened with, you know, Quentin Tarantino and Christoph Waltz, yeah. damn. Like, he just, you said it was long, and it was long. But yeah. man, I just... But you're like pulled in straight away to oh, that, you are. that whole I mean, thing. I'm, like, yeah, I've never been more scared of a glass of milk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy moly! Like Christoph Waltz, just wow. Yeah, incredible. And uh, I think, like you're saying before, like he introduced us. Well, I guess Western, you know, cinema to mm. Christoph Waltz, and you know, yes. straight away you're just seeing what an amazing actor he is in that opening scene. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, well, Waltz was, he's from Vienna, you know, the, it's like, that's a, t- in my mind, it's a mecca of the arts, you know, Beethoven and so many people came from there. And so he came from Vienna, Austria, and he was fairly notable, maybe not a household name, but, yeah. but respected and, and, and known uh, for his stage work, his film work, TV work, just around Europe, yeah. generally. But not in Hollywood. Yeah, and so I guess in that respect, he's a bit of a late Hollywood bloomer because mm. he would have been fifty-three, I think. He was about fifty-three, yeah. I think, when he was tapped on the shoulder. Uh, let's see, because he was born in the sixties. Yeah. Anyway, he was in his early fifties. Um, I think I worked it out earlier, and I couldn't. Crazy. So yeah. So when he broke through to Hollywood. And that was just simply Quentin Tarantino, again, not going straight to the main shopping malls of Hong Kong, but going to the back streets, you know, and going to the, yeah. the back street fish markets and the, and the side alleys and the laneways, you know, to look for what he wanted yeah. for his films. And he was, and he found Christoph Waltz. And I don't know if he'd been a, a long time fan of him or whatever, but he must, something must have seen something in him and go like, I want this guy for my film. Yeah. Um, well, actually, they um, one bit of trivia that I was reading was uh, so I've got here. Quentin Tarantino was considering abandoning the film while ca- while the casting search for someone to play uh, Colonel Hans Lander Lander took place, fearing he'd written a role that was unplayable. Wow! Yeah. Um, after Christoph Waltz auditioned, however, uh, both Tarantino and producer Lawrence Bender agreed they'd found the perfect actor for the role. So that was pretty serious stuff. <laughs> and now he's become one of my favorite actors, Christoph yeah. Waltz, you know, but that was his, I didn't Incredible. know him from since before that. I didn't know the European stuff that he did. So that broke it through and, and man, what and this, 2009, what an incredible, 11 years it's been. And he's done some great work since then too. And uh, the, it says, uh, this is the first uh, Tarantino film to win an Oscar for acting. Right. Christoph, Christoph Waltz. Yeah, right. uh, for best actor in a supporting role, so he won that for yeah, yeah, and that makes sense. He deserved it. And Waltz won another one for Django as well. 
Yes. In 2012. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Getting <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, Colonel uh, Lander, a.k.a. Jew Hunter. Um, that was his a.k.a., right? Yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking of it. Yeah, what a, man, what a, I, could, I, I don't, like, superlatives just fail me because he was just so incredible in that <laughs> yeah. role. Yeah. Um, amazing. Like, like I said, like, you know, he made Milk look scary. Like, just the way he, he played with that moment. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you'll know when you do see it because you will see it. You have to see it. Don't let, I don't know. My wife, um, like I said before, no, I didn't say it before, but I said I've got my wife's favorite film on this list and it might be on this list. Well, actually, no, I've kind of given it away. Anyway. <laughs> I'm talking like I'm already, I'm already presenting yeah, it, yeah. but you're the one that presented it. Damn it! And it's coming up for me. So, never mind. I'm gonna zip it right now, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk more about it later. Perhaps, maybe. I don't know. Don't want to give it away. Shush. Damn. Stop. Oh, it's the heat getting to us. All right. Sorry about that. Look, I have got my. Um, it's it's hot in Australia right now. If you're listening from elsewhere in Queensland, got a nice little bit of a breeze coming through. But um, yeah, so much so that I'm just somewhere in my lava lava. I had to put my lava lava on to try and cool down. But and um, Luke is in front of me. But I've promised um, not to do a Sharon Stone um, yeah, instinct moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that's Inglorious Bastards. Have you got anything more to say on that? Um, I've got more to say on it. Perhaps possibly. Yeah, we'll maybe wait until. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, such a good film. Dang. <laughs> But I could, so I could bang on about Christoph Waltz all day. Uh, what? Oh. Actually, we've only talked about him. That's, I know, we have. Yeah, yeah. How to do it Everyone else is really good in that as well. Like, oh, I, everyone is, man. Um, like, you know, <laughs> Brad, Brad Pitt, like, all I can think about is, is, is him in that, you know, dressed up. Bongiorno. Like, yeah, he was so good. He, d- he did his... Um, like, he, he did one of his movies where he puts his pretty boy image at the door. Yeah, walks yeah. Walks through... And he leaves it behind. So he's done it a couple other times. Burn after reading, and um, he put on a totally different, you know, and persona. Twelve Monkeys, of course. You yeah, know? So yeah. There's a couple of films where he puts on a totally different persona, and in this one he did, and it was, it was incredible. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but Christoph Waltz. Yeah, <laughs> but Christoph Waltz. <laughs> I don't think you can you can ever think of. I cannot think of a movie where someone has acted better than Christoph Waltz did in that film. Yeah. And I'm banging on a bit about it, but I just, I was so blown away by it. Like yeah. I, I watched that scene a few times just. Yeah. So enthralled by it. But, and um, anyway, yeah. So, but the other great Definitely. actors, Michael Fassbender was in it. Um, That's right. Yeah. 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 He was more forgettable. <laughs> That's right. Of the, yeah. And he's a good actor. He's a great actor. Yeah. He was, um, he I was. I love yeah. him as Magneto, but you know, it was just, it was, it was just, he was a presence. Yeah. Um, who else was uh, Till Schweiger, of course. Okay. We were, yep. Yep. Um, I actually really like Till Schweiger. He, mm. Like he was, he kind of, it's kind of a smaller role. Like he was there a lot, but he, right, right. Um, yeah, but yeah, I like I like him. Uh, Melanie um, Laurent, she was really good at Shoshana. Uh, yes, so she was that sort of yeah. secondary plotline. Um, yeah, she was really good. She was she's she's a really good actress. I saw recently. I hadn't seen her before that and I hadn't seen her since until I saw Six Underground the other day have you seen that yet oh that's the Ryan Reynolds one eh? yeah yeah um, I haven't watched it I didn't know I've, I've watched the start of it I think oh. I gotta I gotta finish it I, yeah I've, I've written a review for it there and I oh, yeah? read out and put it out yeah did you like it no nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, is it okay so I, I started watching it like it was late at night I think I got mm. home from work and I was I think it had just come out and I was like, oh, sweet. You know, I, yeah. I love Ryan Reynolds. Right, right. And like, I checked it on and I think I watched, I can't even remember how much, but right. I felt like I was watching a really long movie trailer. Yeah. It did, and the, the it, editing was like that. The yeah. It put like me that. off. And then so I turned it off. I was like, I got to watch that at different times. I think, I think it's too late and all that kind of stuff. So oh, I just turned it off. And, you nailed yeah. it. I was trying to think of what it was like. I was thinking it's kind of like a music video or yeah. like editing. Um, you know, kind of like in a similar way that Suicide Squad was edited. Bat, 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 bat. Like, it was just like, what, 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 what? But this was worse. Yeah. Like 10 times worse than Suicide Squad. Um, yeah. And I know Suicide Squad was re-edited because, uh, you know, they wanted to re-edit and the old editor's gone their way or something. And so yeah. the editors that did the trailer did it and that's what it was like. Yeah. So it's all come back around to that. So you nailed it. Yes. That's what Six Underground was like. Okay. A yeah. really So the whole movie's long, like that. 
trailer. Yeah. The whole movie's like that. It doesn't let up. It puts you off. Like, it it threw me off. I was Mm. was like, I I can't, I don't know, I couldn't take it in. It was really. Which is really unfortunate because I think this could have been one of Michael Bay's best. Like, it's Michael Bay. I didn't know it was Michael Bay until, like, after after I'd watched it. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I still haven't seen the last 20 minutes because I totally get it. I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. I've I've lasted this long. That might have saved it. It might have saved it in the last 20 minutes, but I was just like, I cannot. I've watched this long enough. I've watched this long enough. But, um, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh, my gosh. And Ryan Reynolds, I almost felt like he didn't want to be there. Did you feel like it was a bit of a waste of him? Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, but the ensemble was incredible. The actors were incredible. They had a really good lineup of actors, yeah. including Ryan Reynolds. But it felt like, I felt like the other actors did want to be there because they weren't used to the blockbuster roles. Yeah, they were all from really. Um, I mean, they've got good credentials and they've got good pedig. Pe- uh, sorry, they've got good um, resumes. I meant to say. Yeah. But um. But Ryan Reynolds was obviously the superstar and he was the anchor yeah. actor in it. He was the draw card. And I felt like he was just, I don't know, just almost didn't want to be there and he's just plodding along because it looked like, I, I was feeling like he's reading his lines and going like, oh, they're giving me that sort of line again. Oh, they're making me play Ryan Reynolds again. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so it was just that same sort of yeah. little bit of sarcastic, you know, wit but maybe not of, enough room for him to a little bit of disdain you know disdainful like jokes yeah. where he shows a little bit of dripping with a bit of disdain or you know, that sort of stuff <laughs> that, that Ryan Reynolds style so it's yeah. kind of like Deadpool on Prozac <laughs> yeah Prozac. Oh, no, oh no what what, what's, um, what I want to say Valium sorry it's like Deadpool <laughs> on Valium yeah but uh, but while while there was just action going pow 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 everywhere and, yeah, yeah. That's Six Underground. We're not talking about that. I'm <laughs> banging on again. Um, but yeah, Shoshana was in that. Or Melanie Lorraine yeah, Melanie was in Lorraine, that. Yeah. And she was, she was actually... Like what I wanted to say about Six Underground was that all of the actors were actually incredible. Although I felt like, you know, Ryan Reynolds was dragging his feet a little bit. All the actors were incredible. And she yeah. was one of those. So it helped me to see that she's actually a really great actress. And um, for Inglorious Bastards, she shined, I thought. Yeah. I really liked her in that. Yeah, she was really good in that. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt we talked about. Um, who else was in there? The, Eli oh, um, Roth. Eli Roth. Yeah. Like, so was, I think this was his first acting role. He oh, might have had a couple of cameos that? before in his yeah. own films. But because he's a director and known for his horror mm. and the hostel and that sort of stuff. So, But so far as acting goes, and he was actually really good. He was really good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, he won... Bat. <laughs> he received the Visionary Award for his contributions to horror at the Stanley Film Festival. Um, and in this role, so he'd already won for directing before in the past. And in his first role as an actor, like properly, he won a Critics' Choice Movie Award and an SAG Award, Screen oh, Actors wow. Guild Award. So, yeah. So he did actually play his part really well. So um, Did we say, I think you might have said. Jew, he was called. Yeah, Bear Jew. Yeah. yeah, the Bear Jews. Oh, what's his from name from the office? Was in it? Uh, Novak. Yeah, Bj Novak. Bj Novak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what is he on the office? Ryan. Ryan, yeah. Ryan Howard Ryan from yeah, the office. Yeah. So he's a <laughs> temp. He's, he was the temp, yes. But he was also on the office. He was the producer and a writer. Yeah. Yeah, <coughs> the original writers yeah, yeah. of the office. Um, and he produced. Mindy Kaling was one of the other producers of the office as well. You know, who we had that the love yeah. interest sort of on again, off again romance with. Um, but apparently BJ Novak's first official acting role was, do you know, have you read this bit of trivia? Uh, I think I'm just reading it now. <laughs> no. So it was kind of like the sidekick or accomplice to Ashton Kutcher on Punked. Oh, no, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, so that was his first sort no of, way. Uh, you know, on-screen moment was in wow. Punked. I was just reading that he had to take leave from appearing on The Office in 2005 in order to... Oh, wait. Yeah, in order to play the role. Huh. His absence, oh, his absence in the went... show was explained by his character going to Thailand with his friends from high school. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. I remember when... Oh, because we're fans of The Office. Yeah. <laughs> We've watched it a couple of times. So, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Oh, yeah. But he was good. Um, you know, they're all good. Actually, do you know what... Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, did, did, I think you might have said it already, but uh, it was the highest grossing film of his since Pulp mm. Fiction. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, he went to a high school called... This is 
back to BJ Novick, he went to a high school called Newton South High School, and one of his classmates was another character or actor, sorry, that played a character on The Office. Do you know who it was? No. As oh, is it um, uh, Jack Ryan? <laughs> Jack Ryan, it was Jack Ryan, John Krasinski, yes. His name was just slipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Krasinski. Yeah, Michael Zowski. Yeah, John Krasinski. Um, No way, so they went to the same high school. They were at the same high school together, they were classmates. So that's kind of cool. But yeah, Omar Doom, what a rad name. They should have just kept that name um, for his (laughs) character, but he played Omar Olma. So they kept his first name, dropped his last name which is actually a stage name that he ended up adopting anyway. But um, he, uh, he was one of the Inglorious Bastards in Brad Pitt's team. Uh, mm-hmm. And he actually he got the part after meeting Tarantino at a party and becoming friends. He was a oh, musician no before that, yeah, and a DJ and just doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then him, him and Tarantino became chummy. And he said, you know what, you'd make a good actor. And so he took up acting and... There you go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and Till Schweiger, you talked about before. Michael yep. Fassbender. Um, but yeah, Christoph Waltz. <laughs> Just <laughs> but Christoph Waltz. But Christoph Waltz. Did we mention Christoph Sorry. Waltz? <laughs> that guy. Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, you, you always worry about overselling something. But yeah. You cannot oversell this, man. Like, if you've not seen it, Go and see yeah, it and yeah. tell me I'm wrong about Christoph Waltz. I tell just, me I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 No. Amazing. Um, this is interesting. The, so the role of Colonel Hans Lander, uh, who is that of the notorious, merciless Jew hunter. Mm-hmm. In real life, Christoph Waltz has a son who is a rabbi. What? Yeah. Really? Yep. Oh. According to IMDb trivia. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, there you go. So that is super interesting. Wow. Oh, so that's... Um, that is Luke. That is Luke's number four. Have you got any more trivia about that? Or? Uh, the, the, no, that's all right. Okay, cool. Um, Django Unchained is my number four. <laughs> Have you got that on your list coming up? No, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Sorry. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> like this, this killed it critically and commercially. It did really well. Um, it grossed over $425 million worldwide against a $100 million budget. So it overly, over quadrupled its budget um so for the type of movie like that that's Mm. like when you think of the genre like a old sort of slave era western yeah i don't know that you would consider that to be a you know almost half a billion dollar you know grossing movie yeah yeah but it was um i guess because it was tarantino it's pretty crazy again he hasn't set a foot wrong you know critically yeah, I mean, he, of course, he's got his naysayers. Of course, he does. But yeah. you know, general, generally, consensus says that you know everything's a hit um, and is put out to critical acclaim. But it premiered at the Zeigfeld Theater in New York on December eleventh, two thousand twelve, um, and released on Christmas Day, actually, um, in the United States. And uh, it then, so we talked about. Sorry, so Pulp Fiction was his highest grossing film. Of course, it was only his second though. So, And then Inglorious Bastards overtook it. And then Django Unchained became the next highest grossing for Quentin Tarantino. Got numerous awards, a ton of awards and nominations, um, including five for the 85th Academy Awards, which included Best Picture. And as we said before, Waltz won... Um, wait, am I... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I thought I was getting confused with Walt. We're talking about Walt so much and I'm sounding like, oh, wait, wait. Okay, so I haven't said it yet. Christoph Waltz is in this one too. So, <laughs> Gosh, damn. So like, um, this is incredible. So Christoph Waltz is in there and he won an, an award for this as well, an Academy Award for uh, Best Supporting Actor. He won Golden Globes. He won BAFTAs for, um, and these were won for Tarantino screenplays as well. Um, so yeah, so just on and on and on, just award winning. It just hit the roof financially, um, you know, or hit the stratosphere rather financially, just made a bucket load of money and the critics consensus was, and actually this is a critics consensus, um, 
read verbatim from Rotten Tomatoes, I pulled this one from. Bold, bloody, stylistically daring. Django Unchained is another incendiary master incendiary masterpiece from Quentin Tarantino. Mm. And yeah, incendiary is right. You think yeah. so? Yeah. Yeah. I love Django. Mm. Yeah. Um But why was it incendiary? Oh, <laughs> Because of the final. What is a plethora? <laughs> Do you know what plethora means? No, but, but you know what I mean? Because yeah. it was just like obviously the fragrant use of. Yeah, the racial slurs. The N word? <laughs> yeah. You're more Maori than me because you might be able to say it. Say. <laughs> I've no, got less Maori blood. Are you allowed to say it? Are you allowed to say it? <laughs> no. so. But the N word, like just. How many times do they say this? It was like in the hundred. Oh, it's a lot. Yeah. Actually, I've got an interesting piece of trivia for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so during the filming of one of the dinner scenes, Leonardo DiCaprio had to stop the scene because he was having a difficult time using so many racial slurs. And Samuel L. Jackson then pulled him aside, telling him, and I won't use the exact words, he said, well, he said, mother, beep. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, mother, this is just another Tuesday for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right I'm remembering that that's, so yeah uh, and, and Samuel R. Jackson is one of the biggest defenders of Tarantino and his right to use this for yeah, art for stylistic you know? yeah yeah for stylistic reasons and, for, and, and you know for um, historically realistic well, reasons that's that's exactly yeah. right yeah how can mm. you how can you claim I know it's revisionist mm. but um, how can you claim to have any sort of historical accuracies, which he is trying to do? Like he's yeah. not trying to, he's not, fab, he's not, it's not fantastical. No. So even though it's, it's revisionist, you know, maybe this. He's changing key food, plot like points, but he's not changing the whole world That's for right. what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. The, the, I guess he keeps everything in context of yeah the yeah that's it. right um same way you know like mark twain was you know um mm. you know it's, it's context it's all about context and so he goes if i'm going to set this back in what was it like 1960 or something 1950 something anyway, uh, but, but it was definitely yeah, slave era 18, yeah it was yeah. I, sorry not 19 did yeah, I say 19, I 18 something <laughs> um you know but if you're going to set it in the mid 1800s yeah guess what that's that's the language they were using. So why would you shy away from that? It's not glorifying it. These people did not get a glorious ending. They all got comeuppance, you know, if they were bad guys. 1858 it was. 1858, yeah. yeah. So you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. So th this is a revisionist Western, um, but QT never... What he does is he... Um, Actually, I didn't, I didn't finish my thoughts on the incendiary part. The, like the flagrant use of um, the N-word, of course, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was dark. It was re the themes were realistic. There were so many historical truths mixed in. I guess we have already said that. But, you know, the historical truths mixed in with, yeah. but what if things played out this way? Yeah. Um, you know, and as well as that, through in like dark comedy. Yeah. And some of that. There's some really funny parts in that movie. Really yeah. funny parts, but it is dark. Um, comedy you know so some people are quite uncomfortable with that and so when when yeah. they say it's incendiary <laughs> that's what it's talking about right? like when the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> yeah and they're talking oh, <laughs> and they're yeah, once they're making oh, oh and that's okay so that's the other so thing good. man he just not, like okay so <laughs> that's okay that's so funny yeah actually I think I'm, I'm gonna talk about, okay no but that's a good it's throwing me off because it, it's, it's just <laughs> such a funny scene so you've got to go if you haven't seen it i'm trying to figure out a way to explain it but he i actually wanted to explain it makes the kick clear funny <laughs> yes and what you just said there i've got another um some other points yeah in, in a in a film that i'm talking about soon coming up yeah i discussed that the very way that quentin tarantino pulls that off and the way he does it, yeah, and how he doesn't. Um, I guess I'll just bring it forward because you've you've already um, I brought it up. Yeah, brought it up. <laughs> Let the cat he, out of the he never idealizes anyone, whether no. they whether they are protagonist or antagonist. Nobody's life is idealized, and yeah, and some of that. There's some really funny parts in that movie. Really yeah. funny parts, but it is dark um, comedy, you know. So some people are quite uncomfortable with that, and so when when yeah. they say it's incendiary, <laughs> that's what it's talking about, right? Like when the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> yeah and they're talking oh and they're yeah, once no. making oh and that's a, okay so that's the other so thing good. man he just not like okay so <laughs> that's okay that's so funny 
Yeah. Actually, I think I'm, I'm going to talk... About, okay, no, but that's a good... Okay, I'm, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry I'm trying, to throw you off with that. It's throwing me off because it, it's, it's just <laughs> such a funny scene. So you've got to go... If you haven't seen it, I'm trying to figure out a way to explain it. But he... I actually wanted to explain... It makes the Ku Klux Klan funny. <laughs> yes. And what you just said there, I've got another... Um, some other points... Yeah. In, in, a, in a film that I'm talking about soon, coming up. Yeah. I discussed that the very way that Quentin Tarantino pulls that off and the way he does it yeah, and how he doesn't, um, I guess I'll just bring it forward because you've, you've already um, I brought it up. Yeah. Brought it up. <laughs> but the he, the he never idealizes anyone, whether, no. they're, whether they are protagonist or antagonist, nobody's life is idealized and nobody, everyone is given an, the audience is given an opportunity to see the good and bad in everyone. So mm. even if you're bad, so even Leonardo DiCaprio's character was, he was evil, yeah. Um, you know, ultimately, but he doesn't go like, um, he doesn't look from our perspective in 2000, in 2020 or whenever, you know, whenever this came out, right. He's looking from, he's taking us back there and helping us to feel how perhaps his friends and family would have seen him. Yeah, you know, so he, he he gives you an opportunity to see some good in that person, but how you know, with our the value of our hindsight, how what he was was actually quite bad. But um, yeah, so no one has ever idealized, and he, and he allows you to see the good and bad in everything. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, like I say, yeah, Jen Hill, Don Johnson. Oh yeah, Don Johnson. Again, Miami Vice. He was great. Like just again, like okay. So that star so, about the wardrobe, who, about the wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh. but but um, bringing up Don Johnson that again. So he likes to bring in these people whose yeah, stars yeah. on the wane, whose shine is on the wane, right? And so he's yep. he's done that with Don Johnson as well. Um, but yeah, there's you really you really find instant hate for a character with Tarantino's films, even if they're a bad guy, you don't instantly hate them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, um, I don't know. I, I can think of every single bad guy that he's ever had, and sometimes the bad guys are good guys. But well, there's I mean, just more. There's just more to them than there's that. So many layers like his, to yeah, all of his not, characters. Yeah. yeah. But but he doesn't have to sit there. So he's not like the Peter Jackson sort, where he has to have these very sort of long, detailed explanation um, of what each layer is to the character, no. or like you know, like long backstories and that sort of stuff. It just it happens just, as a byproduct of the scenes that you're watching. Well, the yeah. scenes you're watching, you sort of figure out their personalities. and Yeah, just like the opening scene of Inglourious Bastards. Like, exactly, you know, yeah. It's got yeah. nothing to do about him, but you learn everything about him that you need to know. That's right. In that yeah. opening scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's really that instant hate. Um, Leonardo, I've mentioned before, he plays a bad dude, but... Um, you see so many layers that it's not cut and dry and it's only through our historical lens that we get to see um, or get to just bang the gavel, if you like, and yeah. judge him as being wicked, you know, because we get to look back on it. But we, we wonder, like, if I was sitting there with him, you know, would I have been like, oh, this guy's pretty cool, you know? Oh, yeah. Like you know, what would you have been? Who would you have yeah. been to Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, um, depending on your skin color, of course. Like, yeah. if you were a white guy, hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio's character, whose character's name escapes me for some reason. Uh, Calvin Candy. Oh, yeah, Candy, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah so if you were hang, uh, hanging out with Mr. Candy, <laughs> so such would you have been like, yeah, this dude's, this dude's all right. Like, yeah. Would you have been friendly with him? Like, yeah, Tarantino gives you an opportunity to like, too, question yeah. yourself like that. Like, yeah. You know? um, but then, of course, I guess he, he, he also makes sure that you are drawn to the main characters that are going to get their, yeah. you know, their win in the end. And so you, you choose your sides. You do choose your sides. I'm not saying that, you know, you have ultimate empathy for them um, to the point of just, you know, mm. um, cheering for them. You don't do that, but you get to see many layers. Um, some, I, you know, I have read in a couple of places and this just bugs the hell out of me. And I don't mind if you have a different of, of opinion here, but. I've heard this called the White Savior movie, and I don't get it. Like, because oh, really? Christoph Waltz, you know the whole uh, White Savior thing. Yeah, that, yeah. So, I mean, I do get that there are some films out there that are White Savior movies, but not every film that has a white character that befriends a black character or a minority character, and they end up going on some sort of quest together. Mm. And because of the white character's actions, um, you know, there there is some benefit to the the black character's life because what you find is often goes both ways and that was the case here yeah um 
And I always think of him as Django as the main, like, yeah, you know, I know, like he's right? the main he is, the hero yeah. in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet I see some just sort of wanky blogging that that talks about it and just wants to sort of ruffle some feathers with this whole white savior card. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, I'm so sick of that card. And, you know, it happened with Green Book as well. That's um, right. Whereas yeah. that was actually based on a true story, like yeah. you know, and it was, and they pulled out the tapes where they were discussing that relationship, and um, you know, and you actually never saw some sort. There was no white saving, like yeah. if anything in the Green Book. I I thought it was the opposite. Whereas the it was the um, yeah yeah it was Viggo Mortensen's character that was ultimately saved. Yeah, more, more than changed. Yeah. He changed. He yeah. had to change from. He was a racist. Yeah, and he became. You know, um, non-racist. So he was the one that's yeah. a black savior movie, if anything. And in this yeah. one, it's almost a black savior movie too. Um, whereas, you know, I like to think again, like, um, so Jamie Fox, Django had his own strengths, and the movie showed them, and he became the ultimate protagonist. Yeah, he always knew he was going to be the protagonist. The yeah. movie was named after him, for goodness' sake. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's Django um, and Django. And it's a hero. <laughs> thought, but again, think 1958. Do you think Django? 1858. <laughs> 1858, sorry. Um, but yeah, 1858, would he have been able to inject himself into the power position that he without, found himself in without, yeah. you know, um, without Christoph Waltz? Yeah, um, definitely. You know, he, he wouldn't have, you know, he, he would have had to be running for cover, but he was able to free his enslaved wife with a white man running cover for him. Mm. You know, and so it was a perfect team up, character wise, and perfect casting as well. Did you yeah. like the casting between the two? Love the casting. Yeah. Um, I I love Leonardo DiCaprio in his role, and oh um, gosh, yeah. and I think Christoph Waltz and Jamie Fox together were fantastic. They were. Yeah. Um, it's I think it's it's you know it's probably hard like after watching him in Inglorious Bastards and then you know in comparison like but it's a totally different role and I I think he was. I think he was perfect in this role as well. Like, I think yeah. he's just such a good actor. Um, I know that some people, like, it's probably to do with that whole white savior thing that they've mm. got an issue with his character in the movie rather than actually his yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think they were perfect. And I agree, like, you needed to have them both for it to be, you know, even somewhat realistic yeah, back yeah, then. Believable, yeah. Uh, believable, yeah. Um, he had to have some way of kind of some in to that. To the white side of society, yeah, yep. yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, he's still the hero. He's still, of course, you know, he's the gun gunslinger. Like yep. he's awesome. Yeah, um, Jamie so Foxx really Jamie good Fox as well. Like in that movie, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen you know like uh, Ray. He was out of his skin. Oh Ray. yeah, that's right. We talked about that. Um, yeah, we've talked about it before. And and in this one again, just I don't know. He just there were so many little nuances to it where you could see he was a powerful person, but he was in a world where he had been oppressed. And so he, there was a lot of trepidation to his, um, his manner. So, mm. you know, he, you know, he knew he had to kind of walk on eggshells a little bit, but when he, but when he was given the opportunity to showcase his power, he would take it. Yeah. You know, and so I, I, you know, and and again, he was probably emboldened by having that other white character there as his, yeah, as a buffer, as a buffer. Yeah. You know, having his back. It is a very strong character, even mm. in that. You know, like in those times, in those situations, like he was yeah. still a very strong, bold, like you said, bold character. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, every single actor, I think, was was wonderful, from Don Johnson to you know everyone except okay, the one exception. <laughs> was Quentin Tarantino <laughs> in his cameo because he tried to put on an Aussie accent his Australian accent you know and I like his acting I think he's he's fine as an actor um, I know, thought it was know. funny it was I, funny it yeah. was funny like he handled it because he knew I think for the fact everyone knew it was Quentin Tarantino yeah, yeah. he knew it was his film so it was kind I'm of I'm sure like in that. the I was when I watched it in the theatre I think everyone just laughed yeah like when he when he um, it was when not he a spoke. problem it I think like, Crone like it was like a, yeah, a, but as a performance <laughs> and as an as an accent, I wouldn't take it away. I wouldn't say redo it with a no, yeah, Australian. I yeah. wouldn't say put Hugh Jackman there instead <laughs> or whatever. Um, but but yeah, um, it was it was just funny that he couldn't do the Australian accent. But apart from that, no, everyone everyone was fantastic with their um with their acting, and so I loved Django. They actually, um, uh, I was 
reading that the Will Smith, Idris Elba, Chris Tucker, Terrence Howard, Michael Kenneth Williams, and Tyrese Gibson were all considered for the role of Django. Yeah. And Tarantino actually wrote the role with Will Smith, Will Smith in mind. Will Smith was the prominent. Yeah. 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 Um, but he, had to, he couldn't accept it and ultimately passed. And Tarantino offered the part to Jamie Foxx. I'm so um, glad. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like Jamie Foxx, actually. Mm. Like, I think he's a really good actor. Mm. Um, like we've just said, you know, with Ray and stuff. Like, I mean, there's, there's certain roles that he has where he's just knocked it out of the park. Mm. And, um, yeah, uh, he was brilliant in this. Yeah, I haven't seen him. I, don't, I can't think of a film where I've seen him act badly. No, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, not Jamie Foxx, well done. And of course, we failed to mention, I guess, the, the guy that has been in most of yep. Tarantino's films, Samuel Father Mucker <laughs> Jackson. Um, Samuel L. Jackson, of course. Um, yep. Yeah, he's been in, I think he's been in six six of his films. Yeah, has he? Mm. So that's... Which ones hasn't? Oh, he wasn't. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll try and do a trivia and list them off, but yeah, he's you know, he's been in a great deal of them, so yeah, he has he's, been a, lot. He's a bit of a I guess like Michael Caine is to yeah, Nolan, yeah. he's Samuel L is to Quentin, and like I said, he's he's been one of his biggest defenders when it comes to his, his right to use certain language, yeah, because mm. <laughs> he's like, what is he like? He's a he's Calvin Candy's butler, yeah, servant, yeah, oh, and what. Okay, so actually, you know, when we're talking about... So Samuel L., I wouldn't consider... I think he's a good actor. I, I love watching him and anything he does. Mm. But I don't see him as... I don't know. I, I don't put him... I, you don't often see him acting outside of who he is. Yeah. To me, and I mean... Yeah, I yeah. Think of some, but in this movie, he did. Yeah. He really did. Frail, subservient man. Yeah. You know, which he normally doesn't do. He doesn't do subservient. No, yeah, that's right. Um, he really plays. It's a different role. role, yeah. Yeah, it was a different yeah. role. All right, so what's your number three? My number three. My number three is.